This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonish Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the, the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Hello, Will. How are things? Oh, hello. Very, that was kind of a somber <laughs> kind of... Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Uh, Six Nations week again. We had a follow week last week, so, you know, we're, we're back all guns blazing this week. Uh, looking forward to it. We have a very interesting show coming up. We're going to be joined by... AJ slash Adge McGinty, we might get into that, what, what we should actually call him, first of all, in a little bit, sales sharks out half, obviously won the league with Connacht, plays for USA as well, a very interesting career, so we're going to get into that with him, and I'm going to be joined by Brendan Fanning as well, the Sunday Independent, we're going to talk about the very tragic death of Gary Halpin today uh, at 55, uh, Brendan wrote a great piece on independent.ie, looking back on, on his life and his memorable career, so I'm just going to check in with him about Gary and the kind of character and player he was. Um, so we have all that to come, busy show. Obviously, this week, Ireland-Italy at the end of it as well. Um, we talked a lot with uh, Neil Francis last week. And thanks, everyone who listened. It's actually our most listened to show of the season so far. So Frano always delivers when he comes oh, on to me. He delivers. He's magic, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Ireland-Italy this weekend. Uh, a five-point win is expected. Anything else would be alarm bells ringing. But you know, what are you looking to see? Or what would you like to see in terms of the growth that we were talking about maybe last week that we haven't seen thus far? Yeah, or is well, there or, sorry, or is there anything like, will we just, will we know anything more at the after Italy regardless? No, look, I don't think we do. Like, I think we only know if <laughs> if we don't get the five points. There's only downside here, I think, with, with uh, playing Italy, unfortunately. But uh, what we would like to see is just something a bit cohesive. I think we'd like to see continued growth and strength from, from the, on the set-piece side. Uh, you know, Italy generally have a have a pretty good scrum, I think. So Ireland have been really good in that facet from from what I'm more well, I suppose from what we're being told, uh that and, and from what it looks like, to be fair. So that'd be great to see a bit of continued strength there. Um, some more game time maybe for the likes of Tyke Furlong. Uh, you know, he is at the height of his powers, he was the best in the world, I think, at one point, uh, certainly in his position. Um, so it'd be great to see a bit more game time there, uh, if he's included. Um and I think, uh, so yeah, continued strength, but I think a little bit of attacking flair, just a little bit of something to, to give us a little bit of hope that, okay, we're seeing a little bit more fluidity. We're seeing a bit more, you know, better execution and delivery and, um, you know, all those great things in attack. We want to see a bit more of that um, and maybe a little bit more creativity on the kicking side. I think so far we haven't seen enough of that. Um, you know, Leinster have been very good at that at different points, obviously taking some inspiration from the Southern Hemisphere for their kind of kicking game, you know, nice little grubbers in behind, etc. Um, I'd like to see a bit more growth there because I think against the better teams, you know, you're still going to have to have a really, really good kicking then. That, that seems to be one of the best ways to break teams then. And then to my mind, I'd love to see us nil them. Um, I'd love to see a big, big defensive performance. Very difficult to do away from home in the Six Nations, but there's no crowd there. I think we have better players. They have some attacking flair. We did see parts of that uh, in, in their two games so far. Um, some good outside talent, um, some decent ball playing as well. Maybe they've had a bit, bit of growth there. So I'm looking to see a really, really big Irish defensive performance, something that I've been focusing on the last couple mm. of weeks because I feel like that is an area that hasn't really... 
it had, it's gone unnoticed a little bit because the attack is very much in focus. Um, I would like to see some real, you know, growth in the team there. I'd really like to see us squeeze them out of it uh, from a defensive perspective. Yeah, it's funny, like, you, you have been pointing that out recently and, like, the Italian attack ha- has been, you know, pretty lively and, ironically, like, my cat was the man who was coaching the Italian <laughs> attack for four years but until the last, at the end of the last World Cup but now he's over Ireland and people are like, Jesus, Mike, what, what the F are you doing? And just one thing I'd, I'd be interested to get your opinion on, Andy Farrell and Mike Cat in the media this week, obviously a lot of focus and questions were asked about the attack and they seem to be putting the um, the emphasis and the onus back towards the players saying the lads need to recognise the space better or the lads need to, you know, be executing the chances we're creating better and it was interesting. I wouldn't say, you know, a few people have been like, oh, are they, are they kind of passing the book a little bit. I, I You know, th- there's probably some validity in that. The players need to do so- certain things as well. But I just thought it was an interesting little media dynamic when you're reading between the lines and trying to pick up things. Yeah, and look, I don't think they're at the stage yet where you'd want to be putting, you know... Sorry, th- there's certainly pressure on them. Um, you know, I think, you know, I we don't dissect the games like they'll dissect mm. the games. Like, we haven't got a video, video analysis going through the game, play by play, and it's already chopped up for us and each and every play dissected. Um, you know, within 30 minutes of the game being finished. Um, so maybe there are more opportunities out there that we're not spotting. To my mind, I haven't don't know if I'm seeing the same thing in and now I'm watching the game like everyone else. Um, you know, certainly there are opportunities, but um are they as clear cut as maybe that that it's all down to the players? I don't know. Now, did they also? I'm sure. Look, I, I think they'll still have to. Well, like, what what I've been looking for in the attack that maybe I haven't seen um, is maybe just I haven't seen them persistently try something. If that makes sense. So I feel like I haven't seen them. You know, you know, the coaches playing against different teams will will spot certain you know, traits that a defense will have. And you say, mm, okay, that's an area we're going to target. So whether that's, I don't know, a chip in behind, whether that is a certain move where you're targeting, okay, look, they're, they're trying to get massive line speed. This guy can get disconnected between, you know, the third and fourth defender kind of get disconnected sometimes. We're going to try this move. Um, I haven't seen a huge amount of things like that, but I'm saying, okay, they've spotted something there. Um, and um, maybe that's something that I'm looking for because I feel like that's a real sign of a coach spotting something or even on the flip side, a, a team playing to its strengths. So a team saying, we do this really well. No matter what they do in defense, we feel like we can get, we can do that all the time and we will make either gains or we'll break them down there. So maybe that's what I'm looking for, Will. Um, and maybe I haven't seen that yet. That's probably why I'm a little bit red. And I, and I, and I, and I will say, look, the, the first game of the championship with 14 men, I actually thought there was some great rugby play that day. Um, and I think that's made it really hard for us to, I suppose, deliver a real damning kind of uh, assessment of the attack so far. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously Johnny Sexton gone. The real issue, and we did talk about this pre-championship, um, he's such a big loss to the team still. Um, there's still a big gap there. So without him last week, you know, that's tough. It's tough for the, the Irish team still hasn't found someone to fill that spot. I, I'm not going to keep going on about that because that's just dead. You know, everyone's talked that one to death. Um, but yeah, like that's that's probably what we're looking for there. Yeah, maybe the players do need to step up, but I, I would like to see them. I would like to see a shape or something happening that, I, that I'm saying that's they're, they're trying that a few times because they've seen something. If it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. But I just like to see something like that, Will, to be honest. No, there's certainly a number of areas where people will be looking very closely. And I just one positive note ahead of the weekend is I, I suppose I know France are missing a number of key men with, with COVID. If Scotland beat France, the door is slightly ajar in the championship. You know, who knows? They, they, I, I'll say no more. I'll say no more. Again. Yeah, but I could be right. The, the eggheads have crunched the numbers for me. Uh, you know, I got them it's in the Tabbit Street. Yeah, even though even though there's restrictions, they went in the Tabbit Street. They're doing essential oh, work, you know, crunching these yeah, numbers. Can we rely on Scotland, Will? Can we rely on Scotland? I know. This will be the one, though, where they're, now it's kind of, they're both underdogs, but also favourites. Like, they're in the Stade de France, but they're playing a French team, missing some key men. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how they go. But yeah, there'll be a lot to cover next week uh, when we sink our teeth into that weekend. In the meantime, delighted to welcome uh, AJ McGinty onto the show. Sales Sharks out half, USA International. How are things? Yeah, doing very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the uh, on the show. Now our pleasure. And uh, you know, we just did a, a bit of a debrief off air about what I should call you, Aj, AJ. I know there's a bit of confusion. I I know you like you go by both different places, so we got that out of the way anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, as as said, like when I moved to America, a well-known coach called Bruce McLean, who's a uh, well-known in New York. He just he christened me AJ from. 
from day one of my session. He actually said, what the F are you doing, AJ? <laughs> and from from then on in, it's it stuck. So, um, yeah, sure. I've been I've been all names. I used to be Little Alan back when I was home, as you could probably know, because my dad uh, was was the headmaster of Blackrock. He was Big Al, and I was I was Little Al. Told the family, so I think I've escaped that name anyway. Yeah, I think it was good luck. The the AJ nickname, a lot of good has come from it. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, but delighted to have you on. I, obviously, you know, such a, an interesting career. It's funny, actually, a few weeks ago, I was watching Sale play Bristol on a Friday night on BT, and it was a cracking game. You know, you, you and Faf de Klerk pulling the strings. I was thinking, geez, he'd actually be a very good person to get on. Like, it's, it's like it seems to be going so well over there. Um, I know you have the new coaching with Alex Anderson uh, from Saracens, and, you know, how's life in the Premiership at the moment, you know, in these unusual times? Like, you know, you turn on these some of these games, they're so entertaining to watch. It seems like a great brand of rugby to play. How are you finding it at the moment in sale? Yeah, to be honest, I'm, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. Um, like I said, Alex Anderson has come in and he's you know, he's been phenomenal. Um, really impressed. Like every day, you're you're learning something new, which I really enjoy. And um, just just the way he approaches the game, the way he approaches sort of off the field stuff, and the importance of of the environment that we're trying to build and, you know, the, the cliche word of, of culture and how he's sort of developing that with us. So I've been here for, for five years and well, this this is my fifth season and now watching him sort of unravel it all and then piece it all back together. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to see, to see him like sort of do his work and everyone buying in and the rugby, like it's a, it's a very challenging league and, uh, you know, I actually haven't played in two weeks now, so I'm kind of raring to go this, this weekend. Um, but yeah, that that last game we played against Bristol was 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 a I wouldn't say a milestone. Like we always want to go down there and beat them, but the way they were, everyone was talking about them and how good their attacking rugby is, and we're we're probably a def- more dominantly defence team. So to go down there and shut them down was was a an, an amazing sort of amazing win and great for sort of our, our squad really. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned they, they hadn't played in the last two weeks because after the Bristol game, the following weekend, I was building my accumulator. I just saw you were playing Bath. I was like, oh, AJ, Fafa Clerk were so good last week. Definitely putting them in the accumulator this week. <laughs> then I look at the team sheet. You're both on the bench. You, you, you lose narrowly. My, my accumulator goes up in smoke. So I was devastated for you personally and myself. I know. That's, I think that's one of the things, well, that Alex Sandlin is trying to build, just that strength in depth in the squad and, a lot of the guys on that for that back game probably hadn't hadn't played a lot of a lot of minutes and yeah, Bath hadn't been going well and it was uh, certainly deflating after the, the previous week. But you know that's just the way that's just the way it is. It's the nature of the game over here. Like anyone can beat anyone, and you can't you can't switch off. So it, it keeps you it keeps you focused. It's very very intense, and you just gotta yeah, like strap on the boots and go again. Yeah, and you mentioned Alex Anderson there and what he's brought. He always was such an impressive person. He, do, he did a lot of kind of the sideline interviews when he was with Saracens and always seen real clued in and an interesting guy. Like, what has he brought to the table from the off? Like, you know, is there anything that you've seen? You're like, oh, that's why Saracens are so successful, like, because this is what they used to do or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think, especially in Dublin, he's probably not liked very well or by, by most teams because the Saracens have been so successful and Harry carries himself. But, you know, one of the first things he did was just sort of who he was, who he was, and what he represented. And like he's been with Saracens for seventeen years, but he started his his career off at Sale and like took took the mick out of himself. You know, he's um, he said he works hard, loves the game, very passionate. But it's important to have sort of this life away from the game that it doesn't like you don't invest everything into it and. Your your mood is dictated by you know the wins and losses, and that's that's something he said. He says we're we're going to enjoy everything, the wins, the losses, embrace triumph with defeat. Um, you know, like really level headed, and it's it's very impressive because obviously he's had so much success at Saracens, and he's been the focal point of what they built down there, and having him now in our building and going to work like just creates a a real buzz about the place and. You know, you see some lads that normally rock up to a minute, five minutes, five minutes earlier now into start today and now we're earlier getting ready to go. So he has everyone motivated. And um, yeah, I like I expect I don't ex- I don't expect I just like I envision good things happening here. Hey, can I ask you, um, 
I don't know which is, I'm so confused after Will's AJ or Aj. I'm just going to go with Aj. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I think, you know, Sale to my mind has always been a club that, you know, they've had a, a kind of promise, you know, they've been really close. They've had a few brilliant players there. You think back to your Chabals and all these kind of guys, you know. Um, do you think it, they're kind of turning a corner now? I know you're fifth, but like, and there's been a few maybe patchy results here and there, but do you feel like you're going in the right direction? Do you think Sale now is a club that, sees itself as you know but particularly with saracen's gone now i think that's obviously leveled things up quite a bit in the league to my in, in, well that's just my opinion but do you, yeah, yeah. Do you see yourselves as real contenders you is, is that what you're is that, is that the talk in the club now is that the vibe in the club yeah definitely i think as well like when i first moved over here it was probably just stay avoid relegation that was the mindset it was like you know you hear about the french teams like going away you don't mind losing away but you always win your home games and that was like driven in, in, into the team when I was first here. And like you just have this sort of roller coaster of like a really good high when you win in the weekend. And then like everything drops off the next week because oh, it's an away game. So like we're not expected to win this. And it was just a very strange environment to, to sort of come to, like come to terms with or like, em, em, like embrace yourself fully into it. And slowly over the last like few years, new ownership, new players coming in that have played at the top level. Like now we have like World Cup winners in the squad or World Cup finalists. Um, that that drives the standard, that drives the attitude. And got you got guys here that are very determined and want to win. And you're right with that sort of that stigma, like a patchy team of like you could have an amazing, an amazing win one week and then the next week you don't show up. So um it's very difficult to like break that mold. It, it takes a lot of work and like I fully believe in in the work that Alex Anderson's doing since he's been here. We're gonna go from strength to strength. And as you said, be contenders, like definitely pushing, pushing top four. And um we fancy ourselves against anyone. I can I ask you just a follow-up on that one, just to touch on something you said there. Uh, you know, playing with Faf de Clerk, like I just, you know, he's one of those guys that he's like a DuPont, um, kind of different to Aaron Smith, like maybe same kind of diminutive. I suppose, you know, in terms of size and that, but certainly like a loud game, like what a player. How how do you enjoy playing with him? Yeah, he's amazing. Like he's just, it's like, I always, always think it's just, you know, when you, you, you play intense games and there's a, you you feel pressure, everyone feels pressure in some form or way. And he just plays like he's, he's out in the park, just chucking the ball around. And like he could, something could go wrong. He makes some mistakes. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah. That, when I first came over here, I was very much of it has to be this way, this way, this way. Um, I wanted, I wanted things very structured, and he was just off the like he was crazy doing all sorts of stuff. So, not that we had our run-ins, but we'd have a few <laughs> words with each other when he first came. But again, you just got to embrace it because a lot of like he, if he sees something, you don't want to hold him back. You don't want to like he's such an instinctive player, and he can see a gap and he can challenge defenses and like he's he's. His, his all-around game is just such a high level in terms of like speed of pass, like delivery in and out of a breakdown, like challenge defences, and then his kicking game is is quality. And then on the flip side, he's fucking knocking yeah. boys out with his hits. You know, yeah. <laughs> is he a freak in the gym? Like, what's he? Is he like? It doesn't. It doesn't compute. Like, he's, <laughs> like I like I think Dupont is very similar. They're both so strong for little guys. Like, is he kind of yeah. a bit of a freak in the gym, or is it just all like? Well, he, he used mentality. to be in. And his, when he went to school, he was like into his acrobatics. So like he's very explosive. He's he was in a hip hop band. So he's a good. He's got a few. <laughs> he's got a few shuffles. He that dances around the place. You know. And I think, you know how it is. If you see someone that little, you just think this guy's this guy's not going to hit me that hard. You you you. The blonde hair just doesn't fit with him. I know. <laughs> it's the hair. The hair is the big thing. Like, does he get a lot of stick around the dressing room for that? Uh, he's ridiculous with his hair. He'll be he is the hair dryer. He's his his locker room's over by where the plug in for the hair dryer. He go to the showers. He's got three different hair products he has to put in his hair. He's combing his hair. Um, yeah, he's actually a bit flustered at the moment because with lockdown he can't cut it. He can't get his hair cut, so it's getting too long for him. So he reminds me. Do you remember Talladega Nights? Do you remember the the, the kind of comb? Do you know that kind of is it? Will Farrell has that big head of hair and with Talladega Nights. Is yeah, it yeah. Nights or is the... No, it's uh, oh, the ice skating Blades one. Blades of Glory. Blades yeah. of Glory. Blades of Glory. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> no, but he's, he's, he's a ball of energy. Like sometimes you just you wish you could have a remote and turn him off. But uh, <laughs> nah, he's he's certainly fun to play with, and yeah, just such an exciting player. Yeah, and what's the not like nine ten relationships are obviously so crucial for the success of a team. Like from your own perspective, what's it like working with someone who's such a big stature in the game? As you say, a World Cup winning number nine, one of the best players in the world. But obviously, sometimes you need to take charge. Like, is it ever difficult? Like, who's in charge basically between the two of you? Is it is it you? When it, when a nine is that influential, sometimes they're kind of the one dictating things more. Do you go between it? Like, how, how does that play out? Yeah, I think I think it depends on your game plan. Like it's it's very easy for not sorry, it's not very easy, but a nine can be really controlling of a game if you're if like they're the focal point and sort of challenging the defense and trying to sort of suppress the line speed you get. Um, you know, and anything that will come up against Faf is always gonna target him and try to shut him down in, in any way they can, just just get in his face. Um I think the sort of Irish side of me, it's Irish side in me and um, growing up with coaches roaring at you, uh, I, I definitely get roar at them every now and again. But it, but I, I think from from playing with him and learning from learning off him and how he plays his game is that I, you don't want to take that away. You don't want to take that away from him. Um, and whatever he does is just just to sort of back it um, and get and and, and support him because he's going to make a half break. He's going to make something happen. He's going to tie in two defenders, whatever, whatever it is, just, just, just get in behind him as much as possible. Cause he's a, like, if, if things go wrong and someone's barking down your, barking down your throat, it can, it can affect your game really. That's, that's probably my learning over sort of the last few years in the, in the premiership and playing in England. Um, just, just the intensity of games and just going with the flow and being, being fully engaged in the game. And can we just touch, I want to go back just for a second as well um to maybe i suppose the the, the time in connacht some very painful memories for me uh thanks for that my, my last ever game was was i think what i've got it was one of the best performances i thought um i'm nearly going to say if any fly half i played against i thought you were just unbelievable on the day um <laughs> capital, no that. seriously some unbelievable like the the, the grubber through was a bit of magic as well at the end for that try. It was a few lovely bits but i mean what was it like you know kind of suppose leaving connacht at that time was it and maybe how how did that come about? Having had such a big impact on the team and that you know massive year for the club, like how did that move transpire? Yeah, it was it was pretty tough to be honest because, um, like coming from pretty much like playing in college to going to a World Cup and then found myself like an opportunity in, in Connacht and I couldn't have bit couldn't have picked a better place to go just. The environment that was that was built there, um, the coaching staff were like obviously Pat Lamb was leading it, but then his support staff, the skill, skills coach um, Dave Ellis, Andrew Bell, the backs coach, they are brilliant for for my development. And I've always I've always loved the game and fascinated about the the technical side of it, the, the analytical side of it. Like what if if, so, if someone's going to sort of challenge me and and teach me something new, like I, I love that. I fully embrace that and. Everything they said to me in, in that year it was just, I was just, as I said, it was just a sponge, really. And um, for the for the year to have gone so well, and not that I went in and made a huge impact, like the team was doing very well. Um, and then Jack Hardy had got an injury, uh, Shane O'Leary got an injury, and I got an opportunity, got a run of games, and just sort of, as you know, you get a get a run of games, find your feet, uh, your confidence grows, and just my my belief in what I was able to bring to the team and, and what the team was doing in, in attack like I, I loved every minute of it and then to be like well you're actually a foreigner so you can't we, we're not able to re-sign you um because because more uh, was it I think it's if Boshoff I can't remember his first name Boshoff was meant to come that year but he wasn't able to so that's why I got my opportunity and then he was coming the following year so that was just something that um like they, they said hold off we're going to try see if we can have you as a foreign 12 and I could stay there. And if not, if the IRFU say like sort of decline that um, proposal, well then, you know, you're going to have to move on. And, um, you know, I remember having that chat and at the time we were in the quarterfinals of the challenge cup and, you know, the way the season was going and that was something Pat said, he said, listen, you can leave this place in, on, on the biggest high of all. Like you, we can win the challenge cup and we can win, win the pro 12 or, you can sort of sulk about it and you know, you might, you might not, who knows where you go from there. And, and 
um, after the opportunity he gave me down there, um, he he backed me, and like I I really loved the place, I loved the people, loved the players. Um, I was going to give everything I could, like you know what I mean. It was just, it was a like a sec a second chance really that I got. Like I remember being in New York when I left America, left left Ireland, and I was watching like probably you win a you probably won the Heineken Cup in London beating Ulster. And I was watching that and I was seeing you, sort of young guys that I would have played against. And I was thinking, Fex, Fex, sake, like, I would have loved to have done that. I would have loved to have been there. Um, like, don't get me wrong, I was having a, a great time in New York, but I was thinking, like... <laughs> I won't ask any stories about New York, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, well, I was having an amazing time there. Like, I had to be dragged out of the place. But um, I was like, you know, it's just so, something irked me about, about that and um, that, that feeling. And, um, you know, it's just an incredible sort of, from from the journey in Atlanta and then the Pro 12 to 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 finally win it like against the against Leinster of all, of all teams too and big names like yourself so um that was that right, was don't, uh, don't rub it in don't <laughs> don't don't do it to me yeah. my last ever game um I was going to say so look that's interesting because I think you know uh, you know if I look at it um and it'd be interesting to get your view on this one you know we're looking at now the irish team at the moment right and obviously 10 is a big talking point um and i know obviously you made the you made the call to to play for the us what like in in hindsight like obviously look it's been an, i think it has been brilliant for you i'm sure you'll that that'll be what you'll say as well but do you look at it and think oh do you know if i'd held off a second or if i'd you know, could things be different? Say you were Irish qualified at the moment and we're looking for at this space and we're looking at, you know, you playing so well in the Premiership, you know, you know, I think you're second in points, scored in the Prem, all this kind of stuff. And we're crying out for that person just behind Johnny. Do you look at it and say, was I, was that premature? Uh, premature, no, absolutely not. Because like my sort of, you know, you know how it is, like leave school and, you would have been straight into sort of Leinster, Leinster, probably full contract, I imagine. But I, w- I would have been looking at that like in school and I never had that feeling that I was going to play for Leinster. Um, like I did like a bit, small bit of schoolboy stuff and then 19s, I missed out because I, I broke my wrist. But it was never in my head that I would play for Leinster and did I have that like vision of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play for Ireland. No, I, nev- I never never had that like as, as competitive as I was and I, I loved playing um I just wanted to sort of beat the the guy that was in that position that was going through the academy or was going to break it into Leinster I wanted to to one up him pretty much whenever I played um so no I don't I don't look look at it like oh that could have been me and like I've I'd say a, dr- a driver certainly coming through is like when I got the opportunity to connect and then come over to say like so, something that motivates me is like yeah, I, I would like to put myself in that position where people go, oh, that guy could have played for Ireland. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't, I don't look at it and say, I'm committed I'm committed to the States. I'm half American, you could call me. Um, my, my kid's now American, my wife's American. So no, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't sit in and be like that. That could have been me. Okay, well, so look, I suppose the other way is of looking at that, and I'm, su- I'm sure that probably is the way, given what you're talking about in terms of your mindset at the time, um, and maybe where you saw yourself or your the future of your rugby career, I presume you feel then that this the US thing was, has been a great thing for you and that it's propelled you. Um, rather than say at this point you're looking at things going, oh, it might have held me back having an opportunity in the Irish team. So do you would you feel that way about it? Yeah, one hundred percent. Like I, I like I I feel that it's very competitive to break into sort of to Leinster like you can do the school boy stuff you can do sort of interpros 1920s when you leave and then get that contract and I think a lot of talented guys don't don't get that big moment of, of playing in Leinster and then they just drop off and these are guys that like really like really good players and have potential to to if they don't make it to Leinster they could make it some they could make it somewhere else but you almost see it like oh if not Leinster then it's not it's not for me sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah. um now I'd say as well, but like moving away is the was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like as much as I, I love Dublin, um, just getting out and experiencing something different was amazing. Like I always remember I had a friend a friend in school that went over on a tennis scholarship to America, and I visited him twice. We went to Notre Dame University. He was on a tennis scholarship out there, and I was thinking, bloody hell, this guy's living the life. Like I should have done this. 
and I and I didn't have the courage to do it when I was coming out of school. No way. I did, I openly admit that I didn't have the courage to take that jump and leave. Um, but when I look back on it, I said I would have like whether I had to go play rugby or go play get a scholarship for soccer to invest my time into doing that. I would have loved it. Um, but at that at that stage, I just I don't know. I was comfortable in the little bubble of Dublin and um, no like yeah, comfortable in my surroundings. I'd say. And what was the journey then to America and into the American rugby system? Uh, obviously, things have picked up to the center. You're an American international, but it obviously started very small for you. Like, what what was what was that kind of pathway like? Yeah, I think so. I, I did my d- degree in accounting, and <laughs> my dad's big in education. And I absolutely hated accounting. Um, and I did these three years. Luckily, I had a, a good mate of mine in there with me, so we kind of like. Uh, plugged plugged our way through it all, and then after that, I was just thinking, I'm, um, I want to get, I, I want to go travel, I want to go to America. Um, so I worked for about nine months, and then just once I put that, like, like made that clear, and I was saving up to to go travel. My dad had a contact in New York, so the rugby coach he had done some like, my dad had coached the American under twenties in like 1999 or something something like that, some day like that, and taking them down to. Uh, New Zealand and done a tour so the coach that was in New York uh, Mike Tolkien was his name with Bruce McLean who I mentioned earlier they were coaching the New York team so that was kind of a pathway to get to New York set up in a put, put me up in like an apartment Upper East Side and sort of play play their season um, so which ran from sort of February till, till May so that was the first team I played for which was the New York Athletic Club um, and yeah just had a, like such a such a different environment like it was you get the as comfortable as it was for me living sort of living Blackrock Cabinteely area. I jump in my car five minutes. I'm in Strabrook. Here I'd get to like four train north to Harlem. I'd jump on this bus across to Randall Island, and I'd train sort of an astroturf pitch with no changing rooms. Like the whole thing was just so new. But there's like forty guys out there, like just so passionate about rugby, like coming from all over, coming from all over New York. Like some of them had hour journeys there, so. It was just a really good buzz, buzz about the place. And um, yeah, I did that season there and through play, playing with them, like my first game, we traveled, we had a two and a half hour flight to, to Dallas to play like a league game, which was just nuts to me. And it fell on Paddy's Day. So there's a big Paddy's Day parade and a few Irish boys on the team. Like we had a brilliant time. Um, and then, yeah, so from there, I played that, did, did the season there. And I actually played against, the university I ended up going to, which is Life University, which is based in Atlanta, further south. And um, there was probably like a um, a shock to my parents' eye when they when they came over and like I I dropped the job that I was working in IT recruitment. W- once the season finished, all my mates that I'd gone over there were, were working in bars. So I I quit the job that my dad had rallied pretty hard for me to get. <laughs> So he was fuming that I've quit this job. Now I'm working in a bar. They come over, see me working night shifts in a bar. They're like, "Man, you're not, you're not doing this for whatever." I've got six months left on my on my visa. You're not doing this till next February. And I was like, "God, isn't he? Like he's like (laughs) me and your old man used to clash quite a bit." (laughs) He's pretty sad though in the end. Yeah, but the thing is, so he's like. the good thing was, like, you're, you're not doing this. And, I'm, you know, you're a young lad. You're like, of course I am. He's like, you'll be here. If I leave you here, he said, he said, like, if I leave you here, you'll be here for another 10 years doing this job. Um, and at the time, it's just such a good time. So you're just, you don't see anything down the line. And then it just sort of came up um, to Tony Smith, who you know, who was working with the Eagles and the Fords coach was down in Atlanta. And they got chatting that there was a role to, Go down there, do a master's um, in exercise and sports science, which I which I did, and coach. So they they built up a, a rugby program, an undergraduate rugby program. It's probably like five, only only five years, sort of young, really. And to go down there, coach the undergrad team, and then play for the men's team. So um, yeah, and I guess that was like the opportunity. I remember being on the phone to my brothers discussing what whether or not I should do it, and. One thing was like you could go down there and in two years' time you're eligible to play for America. And um, you know, who knows where that could take you? Like there's a World Cup in 2015, and you know, you could if you work hard enough and things go your way, you could be on on sort of the plane to go there. So that was yeah, and, and I went in there like 
living on campus in Atlanta, sun shining, studying, ro- like all playing other, rugby. All the other one. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was on. a good time. Not gonna lie, it was a very enjoyable time, and it was. It was also like as I said before, when I visit my my mate in in um, Notre Dame, and I was like, like now I've got, got an opportunity to, to live this, and and yeah, I um. Fully embraced it, and like the the rugby as well was 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 massive because it like as I said there, you get a lot of lads that would play basketball, football, wrestling, find rugby when they're 15, 16 years old, and they just love it, and they're so like they're so competitive, so dedicated over there. So Life University was un, like an unbelievable place. Like, like it's a small a small uh, university, like basketball and and rugby were its main sports, but like the facilities would be better like. When I went, when I got the Connacht and like the sort of as old as Connacht being like the facilities there, I was like the gym and and the sort of physio facilities, everything. Even even in sale here, like the the facilities in the Atlanta University and Life University were better. So um, they just invest so much into the university sport. So it was brilliant for me and kind of I was never a big guy. I didn't dedicate. I didn't put time and effort into into weights into S and C and. Now I had this like called Coach AC. He'd always be screaming at me, "Welcome to the jungle!" Like I'm like, "What's going on?" Like it was nuts. Um, so yeah, they 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 beef. I say beef me up. They put some 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 muscle on my bones, and then the rugby side of things. I was coaching skills in the morning. Go to class. Come uh, after lunch. I'd coach the undergrad team, and then the evenings I I train with the men's team. So I was like, in, in, intense, like a really good environment, as professional as as it would come. So, um, yeah, for sort of the, the path I was on now to try and push for the Eagles, I couldn't have found myself in a better in a better place. And uh, I was just looking to grab that opportunity with both hands, really. Yeah, it's it's funny, like, obviously a few other Irish guys with the Eagles as well, like, you know, from Dylan Fawcett and Paul Mullen to, you know, Greg McWilliams and the coaching staff. A few lads had a similar idea to yourself. Like, what, what's it like when you meet up in USA camp to have all the other Irish lads there? Yeah, it's funny because, like, I would say when I got to Life University, I was the only Irish guy. Well, there's one other, uh, it's actually from from Newbridge. Uh, Carl Doyle was his name, and he was living in Atlanta playing for the university team. Um, and by the time I got there, I had a lot of people on the phone, but like, hey, what, what are you doing out there? Like, is there any chance I could get out there? You know what I mean? You have people get in touch, or what's the rugby like over there, like keen to get over? Um, but now, as you said, like Dylan Foster, <laughs> Butcher, as he, as he calls himself, he's a, a big character. And playing in New York, Paul Mullen, like gas man, like just like brilliant crack. And um, yeah, it's it's funny. Like the American lads will rip into us because the way the way we speak or just how we how we go about our business. But it's it's I, I love it. Like it's amazing. Yeah, and I suppose I think I read earlier was it Greg McWilliams who converted you from a scrum half to an out half in your younger days? Because I, I think you were nine when you were in school, were you? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, because I was man, I was tiny. I was tiny. Um, I played nine all the way up, sort of my my age grade. And then um, when I went to to, to Strabrook, Greg was the coach there. Tony Smith had, had flirted with me at ten a few times, but we had a better ten in our in our year, so he played ten. And then Greg McWilliams moved me to ten because um, like Ian Madigan was a year ahead of me. Uh, Darius Patrick was another like super talented player. Um, so they would have been playing 10 for the 20s, but at that stage they were up um, playing for the AAL team. And then at nine was Connor Crowley, who was like, um, he, he he was better than me as well at nine. So I there was no one, there was no one to fill in for 10. So I just jumped into 10 for the 20s and ran with it. Yeah. Mm. And what I was- do you think, can I ask, sorry, Will, just in terms of like, say, because we had Greg and Gary on the show uh, and it was great when they were, when you were over, I think, uh, oof. Uh, it was over for November Internationals, uh, wasn't it, Will? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was just after Alan beat the All Blacks when, when times were good. <laughs> <laughs> when times were good. Um, and look, they were so interesting, you know, and obviously I know Greg, uh, you know, a little bit from the club. Um, you know, wh- where do you think the team can go? Like, where do you where do you see that, like, we've kind of been talking about the US as a real, you know, should really be a force, all the athletic ability over there, the amount of people who don't make it in the other sports because it's just so hard to make it in NFL or, you know, probably NFL is the real one you're, you're looking at mostly. But, yeah, you know, where do you think the future is for them? Do you think they could be a force? Uh, Athlete-wise, yeah. Listen, there's freaks. That, that was one of the big things I noticed when I, when I first went over and played. Like, the skill level wasn't good, but 
you might get someone might skip you in the past, but you just get whacked. You know what I mean? They just love the contact. There's the physicality of the game. They they love it. They're all about it. Um, the I think like with the with the the league kicking off over there is massive, and that's like in its infancy. So that certainly has to develop. And the more popular that league league becomes, those lads that that play college football like we we've had a, we've had a few that have come in that have played college football some of them have gone to the pros not like done two seasons and come which is like Paul Lasica who's at, at Harlequins now but the guys that drop out of college like they ride such a big high like everything is on a play for them when they play college football and then all of a sudden if they don't make it to the pros it's like there's no there's like the Canadian Football League but what else is there so if that league kicks off you get a lot of guys that play rugby like a, as a they call a crossover sport in high school, but the NFL, as you said, is the big league. That's where the money is. They want to go and pursue that. If they fall off and the the MLR picks up, you'll get more guys going straight into the MLR. Like the the money's not the money's not the same. No, nothing will compare to the NFL. But the the, the more of those players, the more uh, percentage of those players that do that, yeah, the standard is gonna is gonna get so much better. This the the athletes, um, the competition, everything will improve. So, you know, they say the sleeping giant. Like, I don't really like that term because, yeah, US, the United States is a, is a giant, but there's probably rugby's popular in about four or five states, and those states are, like, bigger than Ireland. So it's tough to get the the, the rugby community all together. Like, you got to go and travel a long way to get competitive games at a young age. So, um Again, it probably, it's the, the high school game is picking up. It's a it's a, it's a fast growing sport, but um, the more more games, the more the the more the game grows in the universities and gives kids an opportunity that like, hey, if you're not good enough to go play in the football or the basketball, rugby's for you. So I, I think as well the athletes in America, like everyone talks about the football players. For me, the best crossovers that I came across were lads that played basketball because their ball skills were good and they were very fit. The wrestlers, like just. These wrestlers are, are huge. They're they're stacked. They're like the ground game is is perfect for them. So you get like the guys that play football of their life. I remember this the story when I first got down there. Uh, football sort of he'd switch switch sports, switch codes, as they'd say, and he came out to rugby. He played two minutes and then he subbed himself off, like thinking he could roll in, roll out. And it's like he was blowing because it's such a change, like physiologically because your your body the fitness everything you're just not used to it so um, where's the oxygen tank <laughs> yeah they just they're just like one speed 10 seconds give me a breather so um i think like the, the basketball like the basketball athletes are like so impressive because you know if you, you can't you can't play at a high level if you're like well you, you can but like you got to be very good but like you could be six three six four great ball skills very fit come play rugby like it's 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 made for you, you know. Mm-hmm. I suppose just one or two more quick questions before we finish up. Really appreciate you giving us uh, some some of your time on a, on a big week. I know Sailor playing Exeter Chiefs on Friday night, another cracker to watch. Um, so your future, I suppose you're you're, doing, you're going so well with Sale, and as you mentioned there, since I think officially you're an international player, a return to Ireland is probably not on the cards at any stage. Would it be, or, or how do you view that? Yeah, no, I don't. I, would, I don't think I, I see myself going back to Ireland. Obviously, um, committed with Sale here at the moment and really enjoying it, and just want to make the most of, of sort of the, this situation right now. Um, and then it's funny, like I would love to go back to America, but my my wife actually wants to stay stay in, in Europe, but she she put it. Um, but yeah, I felt like with with the MLR there, there's um, there's a team based in Atlanta who. One of the coaches, the, the director of rugby there was one of the coaches that coached me when I was at Life University. So um I would love to I would love to go back there and, and play there because obviously I was part of the sort of the university set up there. I know I know the environment really well. Um good relationship with the people there too. So that's something that I would like to do further down the line. But um with the US team, obviously we haven't been together since the last World Cup, which is mental. Like um for, for if you you get knocked out in the group stages, you finish that game, you're on the next flight out of there. Like it's just like this amazing experiences, and then then it's done. You don't see the guys for such a long space of time, and because of coronavirus, we haven't been together. So um, I'll be I'm optimistic we'll have some games this summer. Uh, from chatting to Gary Gold, he's he seems um, 
like he's lined up some really good games for us. So uh, from chatting to the lads, obviously we're all excited, sort of been in touch and hopefully we can get back together in June. Yeah, my last question. Do you know the words to Star Spangled Banner? <laughs> yeah, of course I do. Be spitting them out. Loud and proud. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, it just I, I'd like to just go back to the sale piece just before we finish because I think that's probably, you know, like... I, you know, I touched on earlier on, maybe kind of patchy in the past, perhaps, but, uh, you know, looking at the fixtures here and there were some of the results, I mean, you guys think you can go the whole way. What's the, you know, do you see yourselves kind of at the end of the year, you know, against a Bristol, against, uh, you know, one of the others in the top four? Like, what's your, what's the goal this year? Is is it to win it? Do you talk about it much? Yeah, it's funny because the mind like the mind there's definitely been a, a mindset shift um a men- mentality since Alex Anderson's come in um like before it was it was top six push top four like last last year we were should should have been top four we had a, a bloody outbreak of coronavirus and we had to forfeit our last game so we missed the top four so we are all very hurt about that um while re- while recovering but um yeah you know it's it's funny because we rode such a high of going away to Bristol and beating them. Um, you know, they're say not at full strength. We're not at full strength with injuries as well, but to go down there and beat them was, a, was massive for, and like you kind of think that's going to kick, kickstart your season. And then here I am sitting two weeks later and we're off the back of two defeats against Bath and Harlequins who, again, you'd fancy to go, to go to, to beat on your day. So, um, like you don't like getting too far ahead of your, far ahead of yourself. Um, you always, as a player, you'll you'll vi- visualize these things and where the season's going to go. And um, you know, for me, having played in two weeks, I just want to get back, back, get back and play and sort of get a bit of a run of momentum going again. Looking at the the table now, yeah, like as I said, like Saracens aren't in it. They're always the ones that are always up the top. Got extra cheese, Bristol Harlequins. We've beaten all those sides, um, and and we're not at our best. I don't think we'll reach our best probably for like another month or so. You know that stride of sort of what Alex Anderson's implementing, but he's making us a very like very competitive team. There's always we're always very physical, um, and with guys coming back into the frame now, we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see how we go. But yeah, I'm I'm very confident of what the team's capable of, and we just got to go out and deliver it. And last bit, just we have to ask you with Six Nations, obviously we're in the middle of it now. Um, you know, what do you make of Ireland so far? And, you know, maybe some of the, maybe some of the attacking, but like what, if you were looking at the game so far, you know, and maybe even the, I suppose the Andy Farrell kind of rank so far, is there anything you look at and you think, you know, there's some positives to look at there or are you kind of saying, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced as of yet and I need to see changes here and here to, to be kind of thinking, Okay, Ireland are going in the right direction. Sorry, I know I'm talking to the Irish side here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because obviously, like, I'm still, I would still be invested in like following Irish rugby. And, um, see, like, you probably know, you probably know better than me. Like, I, I think Ireland under Joe Schmidt, there was a certain way they played. And now a new coach comes in, which I'm experiencing here at Sale. Like, I've had, I've had some, I've had Steve Diamond sort of, Rain for five years and then Alex Anderson comes in and there's always little changes and different people adapt to things in a different way or take on information a different way um, and I, I think from what you hear from the players it's all very positive like uh, maybe with the media they, they got it that's how they got to speak they, they're like they want their spot they're not going to obviously bad mate what the environment is but I think the experience seems to be that it's going in the right direction um, like Johnny Sexton is like such a, a massive player. I think when he plays, everything goes through him. Like if I was to watch a game, I'd always think like Johnny Sexton's the loudest person on the pitch. So when he's not there, who steps up to the plate when when someone like Billy Burns that comes in and Billy Burns is, is finding his feet or Jack Hardy or Ross Byrne, whoever it might be, it's a new, it's a it's a sort of new pressure for them. It's a it's a new feel of the game with players you don't play with regularly in your in your club environment. So who who steps up? Who's who's the the loudest on the pitch to sort of be orchestrating the attack? I think the modern game, like I, I'll I'll always watch Super Rugby. I'll watch Crusaders. That'll be the one game I'll, I'll record every weekend. Um, 
very talented players, but I think they can they they shift players in and out, and the the, the sort of brand of rugby looks the same because they're so well drilled, they're so well well coached, um, and everybody is comfortable with what they're doing. So um, again, like Johnny Johnny Sexton is such a big focal point that when his absence requires a lot of people to step up. Um, like I was super like super impressed against Wales. That was a game that I thought Wales were dominant when it was 15 on 15 and Ireland went to Mandane and then, you know, everybody rose to the occasion and, and, and could have won that game. So um, there are, there are glimpses of, of what they're trying to do, I think. And again, it takes time. I think like people are very critical. People are very quick to take the shotgun out and shoot people down, but um, that's not the answer to any, to anything really. I don't know if that shotgun con was aimed at Luke anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> well, no. you you like you you'd be in that environment. You know what I mean? You've you've been in their shoes. You know what I mean? Mm. When things don't go well as a player, like the last thing you want to hear is is someone like giving you grief. You're kind of thinking like, what the hell do you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's everyone, but 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 then that's also a good thing because like I'll, I'll be like I'm anonymous. I'm a ghost. You don't see me on social media. You don't see me on anything. Um, so like if someone. The only way I'll see someone like talking like or saying saying something about me is like my, my brother will send it to me. You know what I mean? And, and it's just like I guess it's I guess it's a bit of fuel to like motivate you, you know. But in 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 Ireland and like there is nothing on right now. Everybody's watching the games. Um, everybody everybody's an expert. So like 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 Sanderson is from the mold of of Saris. He's part of the he's he's one of the men that uh, sorry Sanderson Farrell. He built that. He he was part of building Saracens to what they became. Um, like I, I think, I think he's like an excellent coach. So it's just it's it's a, it's a matter of time before sort of what he's implementing will, will come will, will like will come about. So yeah, are you giving them a hard time, Luke? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. I think we're just a little bit worried. You know, it's it's an interesting one because. Uh, I actually tipped them for a grand slam. <laughs> or Did no, you? So I, I thought they'd get the well, I thought they'd win the championship. Um yeah, provided they got through Wales. That didn't happen. And they, obviously then they lost um the week after. Like I think I couldn't agree with you more on the on the, the sexton part. Like it's really difficult to replace someone like that. And like in a key part, a key part of the pitch, as you know, at 10. So yeah, no, no, I can see where you're coming from on it. You know, I think we're looking for the one thing I think we we probably haven't seen um maybe is a little bit of growth in some of the areas. That's probably why I was asking you about it, just to see if you had a view on it. Um, but again, as you say, look, there hasn't been a huge amount of time for it. So maybe we have been a little bit harsh on them, but um, I just think maybe the feeling around the place, and certainly my feeling is that I probably haven't seen some growth in some of the areas. And that's probably a little bit worrying at this stage, seeing as they have had maybe five or six matches, really, well, five matches really, isn't it? So um, Yeah, see, I think, I think it's funny because like, the one thing that everyone will go is like, why the hell are they kicking the ball away? And the team that just won the World Cup kicked the ball away all the time. Mm. You know, like I, I'm playing, I'm playing with two of the lads that won the World Cup, and their their mindset is let's suffocate the opposition. Now, granted, they oh, like they do a six-two split. They're like fucking Greek gods, the size of these fellas, so they can really like br- they can brutally like destroy you and put put you in that pressure cooker. But they just want to keep kicking, keep kicking, and they get their advantage. Then they'll play, you know. So, and when they play, yeah, they they are they are very exciting. So it's like it's just the for me, it's the the shift in the game is going with defense has been so dominant. Um, maybe the way the breakdown the the breakdown is is refereed. Like you could go through five phases and all of a sudden give away a a breakdown penalty when you're sort of applying pressure because you go off your feet clearing out a guy. You know what I mean? It's very it's very tricky. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There's there's a there's a lot to it. Well, we could sit here, I think, all night talking about how Ireland are getting on and where they're going. And I suppose the match this weekend uh, as well. Not only your own match, AJ. I suppose. Just uh, thanks so much for joining us. It's very interesting to get an insight into your your very unique journey to international rugby and, and to the Premiership. I really appreciate you joining us. Best of luck for the rest of the season and, and hopefully you come through for me on Friday night as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Thank, thanks for having me on. It's obviously great to, great to, great to talk to you fellas. Um, yeah, and all the best. Thanks, Arch. And just before we finish up tonight, uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Sunday Independent Rugby correspondent Brendan Fanning 
to discuss a, a tragedy today, uh, the, the death of Gary Harpin at 55, Brendan. You, you wrote a very good piece in independent.ie earlier today, looking back on his memorable career, his memorable life, the memorable personality that he was. I thought the headline and a line from your piece summed it up well, self-deprecating, hilarious and always helpful. He was, he was a top man. Uh, you told some great anecdotes in that piece about him. Like For people who mightn't be that aware of him, could you sum up the kind of character he was? Um, he was big in every way. Um, he was a big lump of a bloke. Um, I think he was a shot putter in his day and got a, a sports skull to the States on the back of that. A huge personality. Never took himself very seriously. <laughs> was always very approachable. And Look, you and I would have would have discussed off record, I suppose, or off air in the past, the difference between the athletes we're dealing with now and the athletes we were dealing with back pre-professionalism, so let's say kind of 1990 onwards or whatever. And um, Halpin was very much old school, um, just really interesting, very funny bloke, had no respect for authority. Um, but yet, and the interesting thing was that he commanded authority, particularly from kids, like when he was finished playing rugby, um, he became a housemaster in some posh school in England. And uh, then Ross Gray recruited him here a few years ago, and they were absolutely delighted with the way it, it had worked out. Um, he, he was doing a great job down there. So I remember on that, in 1992, he was on that tour to New Zealand, which was very instructive. And uh, Jerry Murphy, who would have been assistant coach to King Fitzgerald on that trip, you know, when it came to doing school visits, he would have brought Gary along and Jerry would have kind of sat back and marveled at the level of control Gary had over the kids. Like he'd have them all spellbound. He was just such an engaging character. Yeah, and I know a lot of people have been talking about the 1995 World Cup, and I know you referred to it in your piece as well, that people probably, even if they don't know Gary Halton, have probably seen the clip of him scoring against the All Blacks in a game that became famous for John Alomu's coming out party, I guess you might call it, and then giving Sean Fitzpatrick and his mates uh, double middle fingers, one for each hand. One wasn't enough, he had to go with both. Uh, <laughs> one of the great Irish rugby moments, maybe not in terms of you know big achievements, but it really stood the test of time. It did, <laughs> because it is, and I use the word advisedly, unique. <laughs> um, what I found interesting about that was <laughs> on a few levels, one Noel manager, Noel, Noel Murphy, the manager, was absolutely apoplectic, as you could understand, because he had a mess to clean up afterwards. Um, and even Gary himself realised, oh, you know, geez, I shouldn't have, probably shouldn't have done that. But Sean Fitzpatrick, um, I remember for a book I wrote a long time ago about the the transition from amateurs and professionalism. I remember ringing up Sean Fitzpatrick about that game. And because that was the, the the last world, the old World Cup, if you like, before the game went went pro very soon after. And he could have, I was afraid, to be honest, that he was going to start slagging off Halpin and saying ridiculous thing for him to do. And, you know, we kind of shoved it up his nose at the end of the game. But he didn't, not at all. I mean, he was, he, you know, he just said, look, props don't score that often. You know, maybe he was just getting excited. But uh, he got a bit of sledge in at the end. Uh, which I got from Halpin, which is that late in the game when they'd run 40-something points up on Ireland and they're drilling them backwards and they're going into another scrum and uh, Fitzpatrick just turns to <laughs> to Halpin and says, where's the finger now, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, did it, he did it in a nice enough sort of way. Yeah, it's funny. And as I saw a clip of him earlier from, I think it was, he was on an off the ball show a few years ago and he was talking about that game. And he said, I actually sidestepped John Lamu three times in that match. Unfortunately, he had the ball at the time, <laughs> which I think summed up his kind of abilities as a storyteller. And, you know, you mentioned it there, those sorts of characters, you know, the stories they tell, the stories they were involved in. You know, would, it, would Gary happen if you transport him to 2021 and he was in a Leinster squad? What, what, would that work? How would that go? I don't know. Well, he would be. If you were, if you were picking blokes on a team according to their ability to make other players feel good about themselves, he'd be the first name down in your team sheet every time. Now his career, he didn't have a stellar career, like eleven caps over a five six year period wasn't exactly massive. And when the game went pro, he did well for London Irish, but he was brought on a tour which was a very difficult assignment in '97. Ireland had a development tour to. New Zealand and Samoa 
And that was an absolutely horribly rude awakening for a lot of young lads on that trip. And Gary was along on that as the, the mother hen, but he really struggled. Now, he was struggling for fitness and he struggled to keep it all together on that one. But he was still very important because of, of what he brought emotionally to the whole thing and his ability to laugh at adversity. So I would, I would have him... I would have him in the group somewhere, Will, whether he was in the starting team or whether he was on the bench or whether you conjure up a job from holding a bag or running the line or doing something. A bloke like him in a setup like that is is worth his weight in gold. It really is. Yeah, there was one photo that I saw shared earlier that I just thought was was a nice kind of juxtaposition between his there and the Kerner. It was him in a Leinster training kit, Leo Cullen on his right side. A young Leo Cullen probably would have just been out of Black Rock. And to his left, Peter Smith, a guy who's kind of now tasked with kind of nurturing next generation of players, kind of straddling, you know, all this, the spheres of Irish rugby over the last 25 years or so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I say Leo, yeah, Leo, Leo would have known, would have known him all right. Everybody knew who he was at the time. And then even before the 1995 game in the World Cup of the All Blacks, because, as I said, he was one of the like Victor Costello had, had a, a, a budding athletics career cut short by his decision to play rugby. Gary could have made it. But I, my understanding was he didn't quite like the road he would have had to go down in terms of what he would have had to ingest in order to be successful in the athletic discipline that he had chosen. And I said, no, this ain't for me. Mm. and came back to Ireland, which was our benefit, and got back into rugby. Um, but yeah, I suppose he'd have to be a bit more disciplined um, to succeed in the current environment, but he would, Jesus, be well worth the effort. And what, what's your best Gary Halpin story that you can tell for, I suppose, for public consumption on a podcast? I know, you know, he seems like a good character that you had some great times with. Uh, anything jump with the mind? Uh, <laughs> the end of that tour... In 92, uh, was Wellington, where Ireland paid a price for having run the All Blacks very close in the first test in Otago previous week in Dunedin. So we come to Wellington and the late Neville Furlong, another guy from that tour who has since died, Neville died about a year ago, I think. He scored a try about two metres over the dead ball line to open the scoring. So that annoyed annoyed the All Blacks even more. And they unloaded on Ireland. So it was absolutely miserable stuff at the horribly cold, wet day at the end of a miserable tour. And I was working away, reporting for a Cathy English-speaking world at the time in order to try and make the tour pay. So I was stone cold sober that night, working hard, running up and down the stairs, faxing stuff back. And lads were coming in in various states of dishevelment you know, physically wrecked from the tour and just wrecked from the night that they just had. And I thought it had just quietened down. It was about three, three o'clock in the morning and I'm getting the last piece done and there's a banging on my door and it's Halpin who I think had run out his, the night porter had had enough. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the mini bar in his room was uh, exhausted. And he's shouting in the door at me, telling me that he knew that I was awake because I was working. So we <laughs> that was my last conversation with him on that tour, was shouting to the door at him and him shouting in at me. But uh oh look, he was he was a he was a great bloke. I, I was lucky enough to be on other tours that he was on, New Zealand or in Australia ninety-four, and that one in, in ninety-six, ninety-seven. And uh as I said in the piece earlier on, Will, it's it's not a good idea to try and be mates with players that I've no interest in it. And it, it's just not a good idea professionally to think that you're, you're buddies with players because you're not, but it would help. And it was, it was impossible not to be buddies with him. He was just such a, such a great fellow. Yeah. And just before I suppose we finish up tragic news today that it was, I said one kind of nice element of it was the outpouring of kind of, adulation for the, for Gary and I suppose it's a reminder that like although that era probably wasn't the most successful in terms of you know matches won or Six Nations trophies there were so many great characters that the public still to this day have great time for and great affection for even though it's very tragic circumstances obviously today that it's being kind of received they're desperately tragic circumstances because he leaves behind a wife and three kids I think they're, they're his his kids are growing up but nevertheless it's it's, it's desperately desperately difficult for them and for the Ross Gray community where he was loved like he, he really fitted hand in glove into that job down there but I spoke to a couple of lads from that 92 tour 
during the course of the morning. And we all agreed that COVID funerals are difficult for anybody at any time. But I can imagine if, if we were out of lockdown, the, the turnout for Gary's funeral would be not only immense, but the stories told and the crack afterwards, despite the awfulness and suddenness of his death, uh, the anecdotes and stories that would be relayed would, would just go on and on. Yeah. Well said, Brendan. I encourage anyone to read uh, Brendan's great tribute to Gary Harper on independent.ie today. Thanks so much for joining us, Brendan. Cheers, Will. You're welcome. That's all we have time for on the left wing this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast to review all the Six Nations action. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>